Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah. Hello Egg Chasers, it's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the podcast about rugby that doesn't take itself or the game too seriously, back in the rugby dungeon. This is the most wholesome podcast we've ever recorded. Is this not like how they used to record Cheers? (laughs) With a live studio audience. (laughs) This podcast was recorded in front of a live in-studio audience, and there was one of them just coughing. You okay girls? You alright Bell Bell? Say hello. Alright, and that's all you get, so you've got to leave now. Go on, off you go. Bye, bye. You can listen like everyone else on Monday yeah. morning. <laughs> Just download it on your various devices. <laughs> Leave us a review. Five-star review. You shut that door, please. Bye. You shut that door, please. Oh, this is born in a barn. Thank you. Uh, I'm Tim, that's JB. <laughs> Hello, Tim. Whose daughters are adorable. And that's Phil. Hello, Tim. Um... Right, well, thank you very much for, for listening. If you haven't already hit subscribe wherever you get your podcast, just like those two girls are off to do on their devices. <laughs> and um, you can find more content. We did an extra extra podcast last week. Some of the feedback um, was uh, lots positive, and then some constructive feedback was they wanted more gossip from Paris. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the gossip wasn't dirty enough from Paris. <laughs> but there is more content. Uh, uh, Patreon.com forward slash egg chasers, and we appreciate you uh, supporting us there. Well, talking of more content, can I just make a quick announcement? Yes, please. Well, our egg chasers feed this week might be having an additional podcast in it. Exciting. Tell me more. Which will be the Business of Rugby podcast, until I find a better name for it, which will be me. <laughs> rugby biz. Rugby biz. <laughs> yeah. Which will be me and Mark Evans discussing the world of rugby business. We'll probably try and do it once a month, just out on our normal feed until we decide what to do with it, maybe put it on, on its own feed. But that will be in the Egg Chasers feed. Beers and biz. Yeah, exactly right. Um, <laughs> Mark, all the way from, dialing in all the way from Fiji. Which is actually oh, really amazing. interesting. That is really yeah. interesting, yeah. So yeah. A- a- any ideas for a name for that, please? Egg Chasers, business, something like that. Rugby business. 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 Business, business. Rugby business chat. Yeah. So far, this is sounding like an Alan Partridge brainstorm, <laughs> so I'll move on. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's good. Uh, right, we've got lots to talk about on this. Six Nations, obviously, round two, and various other rugby stories. And we'll, we'll, we always take some weird and wonderful tangents. So where, where shall we begin? Ooh, well, I'm, so here's a few things I want to talk about. There's one thing I'm definitely going to talk about, and that would be my experience this week watching somebody who was responsible for organising the Rugby uh, World Cup, the Rugby League World Cup, that, that is, mm. and 
just a sheer horror of what he had to say. Oh, that's a great tease, that. Let, let, let's, let's keep that one up our sleeve. What a good tease. You're getting good at this, man. Oh, thanks, mate. Because rugby league organisation... Uh, the one thing that always brings, or two things that always bring yeah. to mind: I, I, the ron- rendezvous hotel in yes. Wakefield for the club call, <laughs> yeah. and that photograph, photograph of Tony Adams, Tony Adams in the leisure centre with the Michael Jordan quote behind <laughs> him, uh, I, and also the vending machine behind the him. Vending machine. Like, it was so easy to get that right, and they they, they didn't quite, did they? They got it so wrong, didn't quite. Within that sports hall, there must have been dozens of other places that they could have done it in the gym they could have done it in the sports hall with like equipment behind them but all right well let, let me do a, let me we'll get to that but let me do a quick segue from that then a devil's advocate if i were a rugby league fan tuning into the six nations would i just be saying oh it's just kicking clap so i'm very good friends with a rugby league uh, fan in cross in crossfit my friend mark and we have these conversations, or not even conversations, they're basically little digs at Rugby Union. And I just think it is psychologically entrenched that they just do not like Rugby Union. And I kind of get it. Yeah, I really do get it. Rugby League's an amazing game. It's all action. But it is refined sugar, isn't it? That's what you're watching with Rugby uh, with rugby League. It's the same thing over and over again. And I'm all for that. I think there's a place for that. And Rugby Union, of all things, has benefited enormously from it. Enormously. Anyone who watches Rugby Union and does not appreciate Rugby League is not a rugby fan, in, in my opinion, whatsoever. But I don't think you can make the same argument the other way around. I think it's perfectly reasonable to like Rugby League and not like Rugby Union. Yeah, I think there is there is an argument for that, but I, I think there's a there's a greater level of complexity to rugby league. Obvious, sorry, rugby union, obviously, and that will put people off. Um, but as someone who's kind of into rugby union, as all of us, us three in the studio are, and probably most people listening to this are, I think you appreciate it and like to. One of the sections of play this weekend that would have been any rugby league fan and anyone who's not up to speed would be criticising would be the kind of weird kicking duel halfway through the second half in the Scotland-France game, which got to the point of uh, Ramos and Finn Russell basically standing still for 10, 15 seconds at a time, which if you look at that in total isolation, is patently absurd. But when you link that back to the laws that have been exploited by teams, particularly Anton Dupont, in the last couple of years, and you follow that the thread of that history th- through, I think it's absolutely fascinating that you get to this point. Do you know, I think there's another element of that. So this weekend, the two key games, which were the England-Wales game and the France-Scotland game, were full of weird battles, which you have to understand rugby to understand where these games were won and lost. Ireland did not have any weird battles they were very straightforward <laughs> they were. and I think these weird little battles that we're getting is actually a product of how close the teams are so if you're really really close uh, you know there's parity between the two sides then you have to engage in these little 5% jewels here and there whereas Ireland could do whatever they wanted really and that's the difference the really good teams can still basically play ent- ent- entertaining rugby but you need a huge mismatch in order to do it there is uh, it, that little exchange you describe in the France Scotland uh, Scotland France game. I think you can ob- objectively say it's interesting, and you can objectively say it was dull. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, at that time, I, see, I, I found it interesting because I was trying to work out like where did they go next? Like, what is just to stop when Scotland are up in that scenario? What is just to stop Finn Russell standing there for 
10, 15, 20, and force France to come up and chase. Now, he, he never pushed it to the fullest limit. I, I still found it interesting, but I know I'm... Mm. We're kind of in the one percent of the those. Well, this goes back rugby. to my netball point. Okay, so when I was watching netball, the detail that the commentators could go into because they were involved in the game and they care about the viewer and they care about explaining the nuances in the game allowed them to explain all sorts of weird weird stuff. We still don't really get that in rugby because because of the complexities of the game, it's almost like the commentators and the analysts are wishing for the sort of game that they want rather than explain the kind of game you're going to get. To be, to be fair, I would imagine Six Nations Weekend, um, any of the Six Nations Weekend on BBC and uh, ITV, the uh, viewership will uh, hopefully and probably be 100x yeah. the netball on Sky. There might be a few thousand people watching it might even be a thousand X. There, yeah, there might be multiple be. millions versus a few thousand people. We're, talk, we're talking between six and six, to, six to eight million is a standard six, yeah, nations, six nations audience. Yeah, so it's it probably is close to a thousand times well, the netball figures. I would say this much. Did you listen to Dan Bigger? It was Dan Bigger. Jolly Wilkinson and somebody Did, else on ITV. Uh, Jamie it Roberts. Was, it was, and there was, there was Dan, Dan Bigger. Uh, Johnny Wilkinson. Yeah. Jamie Robertson, Lawrence Lally, I think right. Dan with Mr. Bi- I think Dan Bigger <clears throat> and Johnny Wilkinson are just leagues apart in explaining what happened in that game. Their analysis at the end was awesome. I really enjoyed those two. I'm yeah. re- really pleased to see Bigger because uh, when you get him kind of out of the heat of battle, I think he's a really interesting, well-considered individual. He is, isn't he? If you listen to him when he is in the heat of battle, you you basically don't want to listen to him. Yeah, I, I find him really interesting, and the, like as an example, the way that those two handled and talked through the uh, conversion mm. charge down, yep. I thought was really interesting. And then you've got to like Lawrence Delalio and Jamie Roberts might as well not have been there for that part of the conversation because they are not going to add anything no. ahead of two of the best very, tens of the last twenty years. It's a very strategic game that. In the end, a very strategic game. So it does take your playmaking fly halves of the modern era to describe it because mm. I don't think anyone else really kind of understands it. Yeah, yeah. People with captaincy experience outside the fly half should um, position should do. But recent yeah. retired scrum half, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it's few and far between. So yeah, there's not many. So just on the just on the overall feel. Okay. So and again, I'm I'm not wanting to pour negativity on because uh, you know I love this sport. We we sit here every. We sit here every Sunday night talking about it, so that's not that's not the purpose. But uh, I was in Twickenham, and the atmosphere again was morgue like for large well, it's chunks. Twickenham. I mean, no, I've been seeing this for I've decades. Been Twickenham, when it's bouncing, and that, and to be fair, the last twenty minutes was awesome. But um, that was partly a consequence of the way that the game was officiated at scrum time, the length of the resets. They actually showed a clip in some of the. Uh, where did I see the clip? There was something on telly where I saw them showing Scott Gibbs try for, in the ninety nine oh, yes. ninety nine match at Wembley, and that was only that was twenty three years ago. You always think about those ridiculously quick set scrums, <laughs> yeah, in like in the seventies, yeah, and, the, and the, even up to the early nineties, yeah. But this was this was nineteen ninety nine. Professionalism had already kicked yeah. in. We'd had South Africa Lions living with Lions. That had all happened by this point, and the, there was no messing. Well, a few things have happened to produce this. One, the absolute pathological illness, which is the pursuit of safety. Um, and oh, the- I, I'm, I'm fine with the I'm fine with the pursuit of safety on the engagement 
on, on the engage itself. But it takes too. I mean, you got to set up. Yeah, yeah. It's, but the setups, you, you, the setups, ridiculous. It doesn't. No, it doesn't so need essential. to take that long. It doesn't need to take that long. I, I, don't, know. I, I, mean, don't, I, I don't accept that. I I'd don't like to watch it. it with you, and I would like you to tell me what you'd like to speed up. Because to me, there is a way to set up a scrum. It has to be deliberate. It has to be process driven, and that's yeah. just how it is. Second rows, w- w- when there's a reset scrum, second rows do not need to unbind from each other, stand up, wi- uh, props pull the mud off the bottom of their boots. They definitely look, need to pull a- the- look around, tuck their shirt in. The, the mud definitely needs to come off, and the shirts need to be right. I, the shirts do need to be oh, right because you, you, you've got to bind on those things. Oh, I mean, it's silly little things, but if you're going to do that, you've got to be comfortable. I'd like to think there is some th- some way of speeding it up. I, I think there has to be. I, I think certain teams, it was dire. Certain yeah. teams use it to their advantage as well. The, the problem being here is that the initial setup can take ten seconds, but what you don't want is a second setup and a third setup and a fourth setup, and that's where you run into problems. I do agree with you that the standing up and you know that is the bit where it needs to get slicker. But maybe it, you say, look, you have got two opportunities max. Because the, the 10 seconds is, I mean, you're lucky if you get it done in under a minute. Yeah, for the, like, each one. For the, for, for, certainly the first one. And then it's it's most of that. It's probably 30 to 45 seconds the, for the, the, every subsequent I one. I think there was a couple of times in that, uh, was it in the, in the middle period? I can't remember which side of half time it was, where there was two times, there was over three minutes to get one scrum done. I have to say, I don't like blaming the ref because I think he's going to come into it for a fair bit of criticism for different things. But in this case, I think the ref might have might not handled it so well. And the reason I say that is because England outmatched Wales so comprehensively that to me they just looked like a series of England penalties. I mean, it wasn't even I, close up front. I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, I and that's that. as, as an England fan, having um, lost a couple of very important, very high profile games uh, in the World Cup uh, to South Africa in the last few years, uh, primarily because of a lack of a scrum. It's actually quite nice to be on the other end of yeah. a victory and having a, a competent scrum. Yeah, that's, that, is, that, that much is true. And look, as I say, I, I didn't want to pour negativity on it, but one thing I am conscious of, that the Netflix documentaries happened, I'm hoping that that will lead to, we'll wait and see what the viewing figures are, whether it actually has translated into more interest. But I just fear that if people with new enthusiasm for, for rugby tuned into that Six Nations, they're not going to come back for round three. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was an exciting game. There, there was lots of it. I thought it was a really good game, actually. I mean, the Scotland, France and England, Wales, yeah. basically going down to the going fin- down, oh, final absolutely. minute. 100%. Is, that is always good to see. Some of the passages played, I try to think, were there any good tries? Uh, oh, the Ben White try was ace for Scotland. Ben White try was super, with Patterson yeah. going through. Yeah, and Alex uh, Mann's try was great for Wales. Mann try was superb. The Fiku try was in the corner yeah. was good. The BL Barry try, yeah, yeah. So there was there was there was some really good, some rugby. lovely tries. Um, the Scotland France, particularly that second half, it was so like neither team really wanted to play. No, and that that was the odd thing about Scotland. And as much as and we, and we we can talk about the refereeing decision there for sure, but they and they've done it twice now. They just kind of. Stop playing. They did it against Wales. Mm. Yeah. Stop taking risks. It's kind of like you've got Finn Russell and Duan van der Merwe in your Keep team. Keep going. Keep going. Yeah. And you know... And Hugh, and Hugh Jones, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Kyle Rue, who had that amazing break yeah. towards the end. Like You've got good runners, good sh- strike runners. You've got to use them. And it's it's funny because in the fir- at the end of the first half, like going into a little bit of detail on the Scotland-France game after bouncing around, the end of the first half... They kept playing 
probably too long mm. because they had two kickable penalties, not just kickable mm. penalties, they were right in front of the post. Yeah. Got a second penalty and went for the scrum, went to keep playing because they were a man up, but didn't get the ball wide. And so they got burnt then, but instead of continuing that, they just retreated into their shell and didn't, didn't do fair, anything. Though, I do kind of get what happened there from a Scottish point, a Scottish point of view. Because even when Scotland were ahead and at their best, it felt like France were only ever a play or two away from Britain. I totally agree. I, I completely but agree. But then that's the that, that's, that's why they that's, shut. That they, yeah. So, so they they risked it and rolled the dice just before half time. But then they came out in the second half and went, "We're not going to play. Yeah, we're, okay, never, so, we're never going to play ever yeah, again yeah. because we've had our fingers burnt once." Which yeah, is so, no. You've got to keep. If you're going to do that, you kind of got to keep rolling the dice. This reminds me. There was a stat about Michael Vick when he came back to the Philadelphia Eagles, and the stat was he had the most lucky passes completed. So that would be like he, <laughs> he would throw the ball and like it would bounce off, off someone's helmet. Yeah, and then they'd catch it, and he had the most lucky passes com- completed. And that's just an example of somebody playing a game, and it's not wise just to continue to gamble in that way. And I think if Scotland tried to continue to play against France, eventually it would have gone wrong. Now, it did go wrong. And the reason I think that is because one of the things France were very keen on doing is turning over and attacking from turnover ball. Yeah. They weren't that bothered, really, about launching their own attacks. They were bothered about possession, winning some set piece and then scoring. But if Scotland decides to run into them time and time again, that's when they're dangerous because they will turn you over at some point. So just to kick the ball away, keep them... Get them bored. Get the French bored. I don't think that's a terrible <laughs> idea. But that, it was the end of that, um, of a very long passage of play that was kick, 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 uh, that led to actually Scotland becoming bored, Finn Russell trying to fly-hack it, fly-hacked it into, was it Schumann? Yeah is midriff, yeah. and that led to the scrum, that led to, ultimately, the try. So it was actually Scotland who got bored. Who got bored. Well, yeah, Finn also, Russell yeah. got bored. I mean, there's also the question, how wise is it to play a game like that when you've got Finn Russell on your team? Because he will get bored, and he did get bored. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although he is a very good controlling kicker. Some of his kicks, um, first half this week, and yeah. particularly in the first half last week, absolutely superb. Mm. But you're right, he... He maybe sometimes wants to do uh, more exciting things than that. Rightly so. I mean, <laughs> yeah. That Scotland backline is pretty, it's dynamite. pretty tasty, isn't it? And, when, and when Blair Kinghorn and Darcy Graham come back for Scott, for the England mm. game, I mean, they're going to be yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. tasty. They yeah. just need a pack that is, broadly speaking, comparable to other packs. Serviceable, which I, I think they have. Like they were, they're not far off, are they? They were never bullied at scrum time in that game, I'm trying they're, well, don't forget they're without um, well, like Cruz, Luke Crosby, who's a big, big, strong boy, and he, he looked good last week. He he was out injured. Richie Gray's out for the Six Nations. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, they don't have a lot like, of depth, so they lose a few players, and they suddenly yeah. Tell you who I love. It feels like if you lose a prop, yeah. they've got a oh, problem. Prop, well, say, big problem. Yeah. Well, there's a few. Th- yeah. So they were better on the breakdown this week. I love um, Richie. I think he is a phenomenal player. He's so unusual. Yeah, well, he, they they just he was surplus to requirements yeah, for this one. Yeah. Like in starting to out of the twenty three, and I get it because last week on the breakdown, he takes so many risks, and he's so good for a, a, like a tall, rangy guy of just stealing ball, and he does yeah. it in the most good line out forward as well, an orthodox way. But yeah, I think I'd have dropped, but I'd have dropped him too. But he is useful. Yeah, but Rory Darge is a potential. Uh, I think that, that's a British and Irish lion. That's a Scotland captain. That is a 100 capper right there in that lad. He is awesome. Mm. He is a class player. And we'll t- sticking with this game, but just 
open side flankers who are awesome players. Tommy Rafael. Oh was. my word! Yes. So he, he yeah. had Wales won that, he would have been man of the match. Yeah, a hundred percent. Arguably, he should have been man of the match anyway. Regardless, Regardless. Yeah, 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 I tend to agree. What would? Well, here, so here's a question because JB has said this before, and I think you're, you're bang on. There are certain players because they're not prototypical. Um, England don't select. Do you think Tommy Rafael would be one of those guys that would be tearing it up in the Premiership? But if he was English, he wouldn't get picked in the international squad. The, the closest thing I can think of is. Will Evans? Will Evans from Harlequins, that's exactly the one. I was so there is a guy in the England squad who's probably not that dissimilar in Underhill. I don't see as being wildly dissimilar in stature. Maybe not quite as good over the ball, but Underhill hits a bit harder. He does hit so hard. He, he hits so a, hard. Who did he put in a great hit on? He put in a couple of big hits. Um, one of the one of the props. props. Domichel. Yeah. Oh no, it was uh, yes. Uh, it wasn't Domichelski. Uh, it was the one who started. Oh, Gasserati. Asir- 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 no, it was, it was, it was not going to Thomas. Anyway, it was one Thomas. of them. One of the two props. It was absolutely a beautiful ended hit. It was a great hit. But you're right. But uh, he he sort of had all that hype when he was young. Whereas Tommy Rafael's been sort of largely under the under radar. The radar. Mm. And then he's just a, he's been best back row in the tournament so far. He's been superb. Yeah, yeah. Shall we do that um, refereeing decision on the Scotland game very, yes. very, very quickly? Yes. yes. So I think it's completely understandable. Uh, it could go either way because that's how the laws, laws are written. And don't ask for consistency in application of the law if you're not happy with the consistency in application of, of the law. That's what I would say. Uh, I get, can I get everything apart from the last... What was that last point? So we want a process and consistent application of the law. Right, The law is all based around what was the referee's decision on the field. Yeah. So that has to have primacy. And then yeah. after that, you have to have absolute certainty to overturn that. And I think that's that's right. Now, if so, they did overturn it, I feel as well, yeah, a yeah, The reason justice. he had to have absolute certainty is because uh, Nick Berry said that... He didn't just say, I couldn't see anything. Mm. He said, I've seen it held up. Well, what we did Is that what see, he said? Yeah. He says it's held up, right? He now, said, because he said on field, he signalled held up. So and then he, he said on field. So he saw it held up. So, yeah, once he's once he's gone that with that certainty, I'm making the call that it's held up. And I suppose I, I can't be hypocritical about this. I want referees to be decisive and make yeah. calls. And he made a call, but I would say that was a wrong call. And I don't understand how Nick Berry could what, look at that and say with certainty it was held up. I'd have preferred it if he'd gone, uh, I couldn't tell with that one. I had no clear sight. Do they have to make a decision? Yeah, I think they push to make a decision. I think they do. But even if the decision is no clear grounding, can you give me a clear? Can you give me? Therefore, it's no try. So, can you give overturn that? I I, I wouldn't have minded it if he'd have said, "I wasn't sure about that." Can you just show me on the big screen? Okay, I'm going to make a call. I'm I'm happy that that's a try. yeah. Yeah, that's. And that's he sort of boxed himself into a corner, close to where I am. In that, I'm surprised he, because he was the closest man. He was closer than yeah. any camera, and he could move. Like he's not rigidly fixed in one position. He can, as soon as that ball goes down, he can rotate yeah. well, a, a few degrees to the left. There's two things I'd like to say about this. Although currently I can only remember one of them. So, <laughs> um, the first thing is. When that try was scored, and when we watched it subsequently on the replay, they're rocking and rolling it, but they don't show what happened later. And if you remember how Nick Berry gives that try, he's kind of hanging around that ruck, that breakdown sort of situation. It takes him about, in my head, it takes him about five seconds to make his decision. Now, what we didn't see, we saw the ball grounded, but we don't see what happens afterwards. Does a French hand get underneath it to protest 
um, to Nick Berry that they've held it up. Does Nick Berry actually see it held up subsequent to being grounded? Because it looks grounded to me. But what did Nick Berry see at the time? And we don't know that. So I am pretty confident that Nick Berry would have seen a ball held up because the French wouldn't have just said, oh yeah, look, it's on the ground, sir. You know, they would have done something subsequent to, to it being grounded. They always do. That's, that's the first thing. The second thing on why these decisions are made, is it not to speed up the game? Isn't the idea that the referee makes a decision and once that decision is made, they're not going to spend hours, well, hours, I've never spent hours, something, but minutes just trying to decipher what happened. Here is the decision. Can you overturn it? Yes or no. If it's a no, then you've got to go with the decision. Whereas if it's kind of ambiguous, what happened there? There's two things that happen. Every, every single decision will go to the TMO, which a lot of them do, but also that TMO process becomes a little bit longer because you don't have the initial decision to work from. So I'm, I'm fine with that, like the speed of the initial decision. And I think, I think it was actually fast. I think he went very fast to say held up. And it's because he saw it land on the foot and then the ball kind of moved away from him and as it rolled off the foot. But you know, if he's, hold, if he's called it held up, and that's another thing, right? If he's called it held up when it's on the boot, it doesn't matter if it is grounded. <laughs> if he's blown his whistle. It doesn't matter. It doesn't then, matter. You, then you've got to determine <clears throat> when he blows his whistle. Yeah, exactly. And you've not got sound. So if he's yeah. said hold, held up and it's on the boot, it's, it's definitely held up. Yeah. But then I think, I do think there was, so get the process, get the referee's got to do it straight away. And get then you need kind of conclusive evidence that um, the ball has been grounded and or it, you can award a try. I mean, imagine. But I, I just think you, I think in this scenario there was conclusive. I, I was very satisfied that the, the, the like, ball. Yes, you cannot be in that circumstance. You could not say with one hundred percent certainty. Yeah. But if you want to use the courtroom analogy, that was a try beyond a reasonable well, doubt. I just thought of something right. That's, imagine how yeah. annoyed you'd be. If you held up the ball, the referee says held up, and then you let the ball go and they ground it. And because there's no sound on the replay, they say, oh, it wasn't a held up. Look, it's grounded. <laughs> it down. So yeah. you do have to go with this decision. You have to go with this decision. I See, I, I still don't think you do. I don't think, I, well, I even, think if he kel- even if he called held up, blew the whistle, and then... Oh, if, if that happened, yes. If that yes. happened. But if we, that clear, but yeah, you but can't see that on no, the No, if that happened, then, yes. Yeah, I don't think... But that's, that's not what I don't happened think in that's this what, That is what happened... Well, I, the answer is I'm not actually sure now. I'm starting to doubt myself. I think he took some time to watch it and then it was grounded and held up. Well, you seem to think it was immediate. So no, l- l- let's, let's put that to one side because yeah, that, that, well, yeah, that's obfuscating the conversation. bigger thing is Scotland tur- turning down multiple three points, um, although they lost by four points, but turning down multiple three points that would have put them further ahead going yeah. in at half time. And then they were only lucky to get the ball back for that final play because Carroll made an amazing break and then knocks on looking for the offload. Yeah, so like, yeah. you you can't bemoan, as we always say, you can't bemoan a single refereeing decision nope. if you have failed to take multiple They chances. deserve to lose because they left it in their hands yeah, of an official. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, on on, on that, that, I do think the having to have 100% certainty is an, un, is, is an unreasonable bar to set and there should uh, yeah. be some leeway to go, I'm, I'm happy that that was... In all probability, that was a try. That's what they do when they when they when they give a penalty uh, try. Penalty tries. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You can't be certain that a penalty try was going to be scored, but you have a beyond a reasonable doubt. You're like, yeah, I'm fair. If you'd have given the try, I'd have no problem with it. Yeah. And because he's not given the try, I understand why. And yeah. I just don't think it's a big well, issue. As you can imagine, we've had quite a bit of contact on this. So it might be interesting just to canvas some of the opinions. How about Captain David Heathcote, who wants to do visual imagery from? Um, 
air defense systems in order to work out if they, I mean I, I love the principle of it I think more military technology should be involved into, in, in rugby I'm just not sure the feasibility of it contact deadchasers at gmail.com this one from Ben Richards with the subject alternative take on the Scotland try uh, blah 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 blah. Overwhelming feeling is that refs have too much of an impact on the game, but not sure how you how you'd think to fix that. On the Scotland try, I think we all agree it was a try. Maybe JB doesn't, but fine. Um, but I do have a slightly different view on it. Whilst we see the ball down, you don't actually see any evidence it's down over the line. If the ref said held up over the line, do you think they'd have given it? There's conclusive evidence it's grounded, but not conclusive that it's over the line as well. But the, so. Barry did signal the, that it was held up. So it must be over the sure. line. So it's, yeah, it's, it's got over the line. And was it, if they had conclusive proof, or if they believed they had conclusive proof of the grounding, yeah. which they did not, I'm certain they would have gone for a higher up angle to see. Like it, it's not beyond no. um, the technical. Well, can you imagine, by the way, can you imagine if this had happened in France? Uh, uh, we don't have any angles. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Which take, is kind of what happened in the England game, actually. They, they wait available. for ages to get some TMO well, angles. Just on that, referees have too much impact on the game. What can we do to reduce it? I don't want them to reduce it. You know, it's fine the way it no, is. It's TMOs have. If, if anything, it's TMOs in the bunker has well, too much impact on the game. I, yeah. I feel like Nick Berry had seen enough for him to be able to give that try. Yeah, yeah 100%. Uh, on the replays, not initially. And then the TMO talked him out of it. Initially, the TMO was talking like, oh, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's grounded. And then talked him no, back out of it. Yeah. He was talking very legalistically, wasn't he? He said, I cannot be absolutely certain. Oh. You know, so just on the referee, how do you, you know, remove his influence it's not the referee's influence it's how the players react to the referee and that's part of the puzzle of rugby isn't it you know if a referee i do believe almost all the referees with the exception of the one who refereed argentina when they went out in the world in the world cup against um against new zealand i thought i was terrible reffing but most of them the vast majority are very fair they just know how they want the game played and it's your job yeah. as a captain to sort that out uh, yeah, but what, in that exchange that we talked about with the replays, what is the TMO doing giving his opinion? The, Nick Berry's there and can see it. What, what does the what does the TMO the TMO does not need to talk? I, I, I'm I'm kind of with that. Like it's was well, he not asking asked a question? Yeah, but the t- I don't think it's the TMO's job. It's like the TMO. It, you, all you actually need is like there's a massive screen. Yeah, there's a giant screen, and Nick Berry's there on the pitch and has the feel for it. Knows what he saw and can. Correlate that, or um, yeah, yeah, can correlate that with with what he's seeing on the on the screen. The TMO is is like irrelevant to this conversation TMO, in my TMO, mind. Yeah, I, I would one hundred percent go for that. Put the referee, and because we spoke about this before, where and some of it's good because it speeds up the game. But referees discharging decisions to the bun- straight to the yeah. bunker, so they don't have to have make that do that thinking. But you're discharging it to someone who has different angles and doesn't have the same level of responsibility and indeed doesn't have the same level of experience because they're not on the pitch at that point in time. Yeah. So I'd, I'm all for speeding up the game, yeah. but well, I'm, yeah. I'm not for yeah. discharging the referee's to, to dovetail it, we talk, we, this, this is one of the things they've introduced to try and speed up the game, yet they're doing nothing about how long scrums take. I, I would say just get your priorities in order, World Rugby. I thought the scrums this week were... They did take a while. I thought that was a bit of an... an an anomaly due to the mismatch of the teams rather than anything else. I think scrums have got much quicker and much better recently. Mm, okay. Uh, Patrick Tipsaw, just, just to canvas this, the general feeling people are having, um, blah, blah, blah. My one question to you is, 
when can rugby use common sense to award a try? Yes, there was no clear <laughs> visual of the ball on the line, but saying the ball was held up by a French player's foot is frankly ridiculous, unless he has size 30 feet like Shaquille O'Neal. All rugby players know that it was clearly a try based on ball positioning in the freeze frame at the TMO. You can see the, the curve of the ball yeah. where that intersects with the ground. Yeah, um, It was only the ground preventing the clear view of the ball on the ground. And Ben Stokes, maybe England cricketer Ben Stokes, I don't know, I'm pretty sure he's listening to the pod. Uh, He says, um, as a rare England fan and huge fan of Eddie Jones, hear me out, uh, I may like to add my two cents that as custodians of the great game of rugby, our biggest takeaway from the Scotland try-no-try controversy should be that we need a fundamental shift back to referee responsibility along the lines of what we were saying just then. Uh, I don't know exactly where, when top-level rugby lost this idea, but it needs to be crystal clear that the referee is in charge of big gameplay decisions like try or no try. That's kind of what happened. Yeah. Uh, well, no, the, t- the TMO did chip in and talked him, talked him off the of the try. the initial decision was, it was, yeah, was yeah. the initial decision. But then Nick Berry, I am certain he was going to, he was talking as if he's changed his mind, and it was the TMO who said no. And so, yeah. um, so one of the last things Nick Berry said was, so you are saying you you can't confirm that it was on the ground. And the TMO said, yes, I can't confirm it's on the ground. So that is passing the, it's kind of passing the book. Yeah. And, and that's where England cricketer Ben Stokes said that that's, that's what Eddie Jones has previously said. <laughs> it's interesting on a number it, of to occasions. hear from the captain of a different sport and, and his point of view. Yeah. yeah. Very good. Uh, and then Daniel Robbie says, uh, Margot's uh, brother. Yeah. Margot <laughs> Robbie. Well, he's in Australia. Yeah. So okay. quite possibly. <laughs> He says, I was waking up at 1am to watch two games of rugby uh, and just as they finish, my two boys under five wake up and want to play cricket. Um, you think, why I bother? Anyway, so it uh, gets on to the, the decision. The last 60 seconds was a killer for me and I wanted them to both lose. I really feel for the unfair back... I really feel for the unfair backlash Nick Berry and the TMO are getting now. Nick Berry called what he saw. The ball held up. He checked with the TMO to ensure he had not missed anything. The TMO showed the ball slipping from the French boot, which could have been grounded. But one point I have is no one complaining is mentioning the location of the ball. Uh, And again, it's about whether it was... You know, one of the things I hate the most in rugby at the moment is this obsession with backlashes and abuse. Just absolute obsession. So we had last week, didn't we, the, again, the intense obsession about potential abuse towards... uh, What's his name? The winger, Afeo Wabuso. Afeo Wabuso. It's, it's like it dominates everything, and it, most of it isn't even true. Like, oh, we saw what Tom Curry went through. Turn off, your, turn off your Twitter. Just stop talking about it. Like this continual narrative of backlash and abuse over and over again because it's the trendy thing to talk about because of the mental health grifters. Well, like, if, it, it just does my head. If we put that to one side and just talk about the, um, I'm not going to go as far as say abuse, but the, I had, uh, I was at Twickenham and I had the ref link earpiece in mm. so I, I didn't hear the TV comms but I was just listening to the referee, referee and the players and you hear you hear a lot like to the point you actually hear the breathing of the of the players at the breakdown you can hear mm. a load of them you know like boxers when they punch go yeah 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 rugby players oh yeah they do yeah absolutely it's amazing it's amazing to listen to anyway that is one thing that struck me it's like there's a refs after like we've been critical here my god they have to put up with a load of verbals it's non-stop because of course if you, when I used to watch Cell Shocks train, one of the things that stood out to me is how much they talk, right? So the really good players, really senior players, and the biggest difference between the academy and the senior players was how much they were talking. So going into a scrum, they're literally saying, "I'm doing this, I'm doing that." When they hit, they're you know they're all 
uh, uh, squeeze, they're all driving their legs at the same time. They know this because of the communication. And that communication during the game spreads to telling the referee what they're doing all the time. And it's just a constant verbal barrage. Not in a bad way, but this is what they're trained to do. They're trained to communicate all of the time. Yeah. Even when you're doing something completely... I don't know if, sir, he's holding on, sir, he's holding on, is, <laughs> is telling the ref what you, they're think it, doing, but I know what I you I think mean. it kind of is... You know, they tell them, they they tell the mates, and they tell the ref absolutely everything on a continual basis. And that's what they are trained to do, mm-hmm. and that's what the best guys do. You watch Dan Bigger; he is telling everybody everything all of the time. There was um, one scrum in the halfway through the second half in the England Wales game, where the, the camera focused in on Ben Earl for fifteen twenty seconds. And for the entirety of that 15, 20 seconds, he was just barking orders at the people in front of him. You couldn't hear anything. You just no idea if it was good, bad, made any sense or what, but he was just constantly talking, talking, communicating. communicating I, I bloody love Ben Earl. I, I love him celebrating knock-ons. And yeah. He's so enthusiastic. <laughs> he's so good. Yeah, but you can, yeah Ben Earl's a great example. You can imagine him constantly going into a line-out saying, he's yeah. going to jump, he's going to jump, yeah, what, yeah. Uh, watch him, watch him. Yeah. You can just imagine this stuff. I've got him. I've got yeah. him. Do you know one thing that was noticeable as, as well in terms of just comms between teammates? Uh, and it, it will annoy some people. I know the Ben Earl thing winds some people up. But every time there was the forwards did anything, they held up a mall and it got a turnover, won a scrum pen, every single member of the whole England back line ran in to give someone can a I little just, pat on the backside. Can I say, and I loved it. Yeah. Can I just say regarding Ben Earl, right? The people that criticise Ben Earl for being enthusiastic, if they were half as enthusiastic about their day job <laughs> as Ben Earl is about his, about his they might be successful. But they're not. They're not successful, and Ben Earl is because he's enthusiastic. It's hard to get um, that enthusiastic about typing numbers into a spreadsheet for eight hours. But you do it. Day. I do. I'm one of the few people who can <laughs> muster that level of enthusiasm. Well, if you love, <laughs> if you love your work, you'll never work again. Exactly. Uh, um, were we on to, where were we? Did we, did we? Have we successfully moved on to England Wales? I think so. I think so. Yeah, we were talking about referees. And the never-ending discussion on, on referees. Um, I love this game. I don't see many downsides to it. So the first thing I'd say is I think some of the things Wales are doing are truly remarkable. I do think this is going to be a fantastic team at some point. I don't know when, but it will be. Gat- Gatlin is one of the first things he said in his post-match press conference was these boys, they're special, they're going places... But not, they're not quite there yet. Like, it will take some time. It will take some time, because they're so young. They're so young, they're so inexperienced. Some of the players in that team, they, they do not have the quality that England have. They had nowhere near the quality that England had. But their best players played better than England's best players. You know, Rafael was superb. I thought Tomkins was an absolute leader. Uh, I love Rio Dyer. I don't know why I yeah. really appreciate him. He's like Dyer a dog before. chasing after a ball in the park. God, I love him. He, he's, he's, like, he's, he's, like, he's like young Johnny May. Yeah. yeah. He was really good. Like um, His kick chasing, and the cross, there was a crossfield kick early in the first half where he tracked it over his shoulder. And if he misses mm. it, which is a very, very hard, crossing over his shoulder into, towards the touchline, if he misses it, it's England try time. And he absolutely nailed it. I love his work rate. I love his, yeah. uh, you know, just everything about him. I, I love him. I didn't, I didn't think that I liked him before. I absolutely love him now. Can win it's got something about him. Can win it. I mean, the only thing he needed to cure his first international game was a second international game. Yeah, that tackle he made on Elliot Daly, who's, uh, must be 5, 10 kg heavier than him, in the corner was superb. They're doing this with hardly any experience. They've got no front row whatsoever. I mean, the front row situation is I met uh, in the Cabbage Patch pub before the match 
uh, I would started chatting to a gentleman because he had a, a, a very fetching blazer on, and it was a re- it was a red blazer with white stripes, and it had a little leak on the pocket. And it was a it was a Welsh barbarians oh. blazer. So I was I was asking him about his blazer. I got chatting, and it was Archie Griffin's dad. Wow, I was wow. about to mention Archie Griffin. So, um, yeah, so he's wow. played, he's played, and obviously he was like bursting with pride, as you'd imagine. Um, Archie Griffin does not look like an international player yet. Uh, nope. when, it, when he came on, he's only played 111 minutes of senior rugby. He <laughs> I was because like, oh, I, I stayed stayed with my brother, and um, I mentioned, um, and uh, he, he dropped me off at the stadium, and. Um, and he was telling me, oh, yeah, Archie Griffin was on loan with us at Richmond. So, in- just on Archie wow. Griffin. Yeah. I, I didn't look at the team sheet b- before the game. And he came on and I said, like, I recognise that boy. I recognise him. The reason I recognised him is because he came on for Bath, didn't he, against somebody recently. The last game. Was it, I'm sure, was it the last game that he played? Uh, yeah, against Bristol. Yeah, yeah possibly. He, he came on. And it just struck Will me. Will Stewart was not involved. Yeah. yeah. It just struck me how young he looked. Yeah. And that's why he stuck in my mind. And then all of a sudden, seeing this guy on... In a Welsh show, it's like, who is? I know, I know him. Then when it clicked, it was like the young kid with three minutes experience against Bristol or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, that's I can't imagine. Well, actually, is it more or less terrifying to have hardly any minutes for Bath and go into a, a Wales game? I mean, if you've had uh, 10 games of senior rugby and had your ass handed to you 10 times in a row going into international rugby would be pretty terrifying. I mean, yes. at, at least he actually got capped because that's one of the things that his dad in the pub did say he said oh you know i'll be incredibly proud if he gets on because that um what's his name matthias the week before didn't get a minute yeah and then wasn't in the 23 so well, he came on he's, he's straight up against Genge. i was thinking well he's got to do this for his day job anyway so you may as well get into it yeah yeah there's no there's no reason why not but it's probably less scary isn't it than having two years in the premiership and thinking that this is your one chance to make it in international yeah you know, you've been there two minutes you, you've been to international even if he fails now and gets released back to Bath, he can just rebuild his career pretty much immediately. I mean, there's an absolutely no shame and no risk in what in what he had to go through. There oh. again, crikey, it must have been terrifying. <laughs> abs- when England bring 150 odd caps off the bench in their two props, and Wales bring eight, yeah. it's not even that. I mean, I've walked onto Twickenham onto the field when it's empty, and maybe the emptiness is what makes it feel so vast. When that place is full, walking onto that field must be terrifying. terrifying. Yeah. Um, when your previous experience was Richmond. <laughs> Christ almighty. So what about this email then? Just jumping over to to England, Edmund Levin. Contact deadchasers at gmail.com is where you can get in touch with us. Uh, right, he says, The issue at hand, I'm seeing as increasingly frustrating levels of obstinance coming from both England fans and other countries' fans. England are clearly a team in transition, who are making a massive effort to be a lot more open and transparent with the media and public. This is evidenced through their brilliant YouTube series. Uh, Whose brilliant YouTube series? This Rose and Inside Line, although Egg Chasers is very good as That's well. That's the one. Which, which Ed, Edmund does actually say. I just didn't put that at the start. You know, <laughs> humble. Oh, good, good, good. Uh, he says, um, blah, 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 blah. More, uh, yeah, so basically makes the point they're opening up. And he is accusing, just going through this, he, he is accusing people of having England derangement syndrome. EDS, he claims, is a thing. Okay. Um, it started before the World Cup, but it's endemic now in people's minds. They can't help but judge the changing England team through the eyes of their England derangement syndrome. No one in England, England, no one in England is claiming to be the best in the world. Or That's being, not true. Or being That's in any true. way cocky or arrogant. That's not true. They're, they're judged as if they were so. 
Sorry, that isn't true. That fundamentally isn't true. If you ask the England team, right, before they went to World Cup, what their intentions are in that World Cup, they'd say to win it. They clearly think that they're the best team in the world. No, any team that was a, a, a quote-unquote tier one nation who didn't give that answer yeah. is, is not a true pro athlete. Okay, fine, right? But you, you can't make the claim that they're not saying that they're the best in the world. They, they do believe that they're the best in the world. And they should do as well. Like, that is a completely false claim. But there, so there is a change in language because you're right. You have to go to the World Cup saying we are going to win it. Yeah, there is a change in language now because they all like Borthwick and Jamie George are talking about a team in transition. Mm. So they are. Yeah, just there, there is a difference that, in that. Is this like is this the Borthwick version? I'm just being devil's advocate here a little bit because I do think there is some unfair negativity being thrown towards England and some players in particular. We talked about George Ford last week, but. Is this a little bit like the Steve Diamond, it's year zero? After three years of not achieving the aim that he was going to achieve at Sailor Sharks, he went, yeah. no, no, year zero. Okay. England, right, hold on. First of all, Steve Bullfick, you're, you're a team in transition. Owen Farrell and Courtney Laws are the only significant players you've lost, and you came, and you all, you came within a hair's breadth of a World Cup final. With and now you've got largely the same group of players. I would think you should be going. We're kicking on. We're not. <laughs> oh, we're in transition. It's all change. It's not all change. Right. Okay. So first of all, on the Steve Diamond thing, right? He was so far ahead of his first five-year plan that he was rebasing <laughs> for his second five-year plan. I won't, I won't hear a bad man said about the world. <laughs> said about the man. Sorry. So that's the first thing. So we can shelve that now and yeah, never talk yeah. about it ever again. Everyone, everyone agrees. Yeah. Uh, on the <laughs> England thing, I mean, yeah, I kind of agree with you. They've lost two senior players. They're a very good team. I think they're probably in transition in terms of the way that they play. I, th- I think it's more that. Yeah, and I think that during the World Cup, they probably they probably stuck with some of their more senior guys who they would have got rid of anyway because of the draw they're in. They thought, well, oh, Christ, we'll just go for it. We'll just go for it. We're not going to get a better draw. See what see, see what happens. And I think there's uh, a couple of things there. In terms of, I mean, one of the things I dislike about England so intensely is um, oh, Ellis Genge is, is one that gets me. <laughs> like his cry face. He was doing it again. Like just the obstinate cry face at, the, at every scrum time. Like he's just not. Oh, something about him which really winds me up. Really, really winds me up. He's got an it's England. So this this sounds like England derangement syndrome. Yeah, it might be Genge derangement yeah. syndrome. I, I don't know, but I, I like him. I like him as a player in in, in the open. But sometimes when he gives his interviews and the way he, Kyle Sinclair does the same sort of thing. Jamie George actually the other day giving giving an interview to um, BT Sport. He couldn't actually give an interview. He's on the side side of the pitch without. Continually, continually referencing, oh, you'll just t- uh, take this out of context, or you'll just talk about the salary cap. And it was Nick Mullins interviewing him. It wasn't like some hard-nosed journalist. And I, he just couldn't. He just couldn't get it together. Yeah, they have a lot of p- people with extreme cry faces. Do uh, do England? I think I saw that Jamie George, and I, I think to me he is wildly different from uh, Genge in particular because. If the one that I saw where Jamie George was like a water boy on the side of the pitch with yeah, Nick one. Mullins, he was doing it all in jazz. He was Do doing it, yeah. He was one hundred percent doing it with a I smile think on his face. Word is spoken in jazz. He's he's very jovial with that. Whereas Genge, I would like he means it. And I, I oh, was, I was the, a the bit, most. I mean, I liked it because it made good telly. But the most, uh the most disappointing interview I've ever done uh, at working on rugby was was Ellis Genge. Genge. We were having a lovely chat beforehand. He was captain in Leicester for the first time. 
Lewis Ludlow was up against him as captain for Gloucester, Gloucester. and they were at Hartbury College together. Yeah, and so I, very and, nice. And so I was I was chatting to him about that, just kind of almost like priming him, like when I ask you about this, yeah, yeah, um, you'll have already thought about it and might have said something. That, that's quite often what happens. I'll chat to someone and then I'll go, yeah. And as soon as the as soon as the red light went on, he just gave me one word answers. Yeah, I think it was, all, yeah. And, and it was, and I, fortunately, I just kept asking questions, which was actually one of the toughest things to think. What the hell do I ask next? But I kept going for a full, gave, did the full two minutes of one word answers. I spoke way more than him. That's ridiculous. And the director said at the end of it in my ear, "That is a disgrace. <laughs> it is a disgrace. is a disgrace. It is a disgrace. It's an absolute." Uh, he he started doing that kind of attitude on the pitch as well. Yes. It's quite noticeable how little he moves. Like he will make a tackle and then get up and just stand there and look rather than actually shifting back into the line. Or he'll take the ball and just stand there before like it's like he's uh announcing himself, letting the world know he's there before he actually that, does anything. That actually like, it's, it's a total attitude. And I, yeah. I was a like when he burst onto the scene and when he was a bit younger, I was a huge fan of him because of the hard work that he put in and what he could do. I, I just don't think, I think his attitude is prohibiting him from utilising uh, his talents. Yeah. Because he, he is undoubtedly phenomenally talented. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Completely agree. So the answer is why do we not like Eng- Ellis Kinch? Well, and there, <laughs> there is something like, so England in that first half conceded six t- penalties to nil. Mm. They had the charge down kick, which the referee. Um, sided with Wales and sided yep. against England. Yep. There was multiple other decisions where he sided against England, and that's that's not unusual for England to have penalty after penalty after penalty. And their own attitude compounds to the referee. And this the point yep. you made before, JB, that to a degree the referee is a controllable because you can get him on your side and you can say, even if you believe he's wrong, sorry, so we won't do it again, sir. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Like, just be more compliant for him. And I was hoping that that would change under Jamie George. Thus far, it hasn't yeah. done really. Although, although I will say England's penalty count in the second half, they conceded one penalty in the second half, which was probably more to do with the fact that Wales were just crumbling in the tight yeah. than any um, the, this, better behaviour. So this game can be summarised effectively in penalty counts. So... To win international games, you need a few things, and I think one of the key indicators now is penalties. So one of the easiest things in the world to do is, well, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do at all, but an easy thing which doesn't require much in the way of skill and practice is not to give away penalties. Wales have got this absolutely nailed until scrum time. So scrum time is the only time that England could squeeze penalties out of them, and it turned out to be critical, because fair play to England, they recognise this, they... Uh, turned it on in an area of the game Wales could do absolutely nothing about and that one in the territory which again allowed them to score their points uh, there was some you know, I don't think I've ever seen an international team go a full half without conceding a penalty and they, they only conceded four last week yeah. despite all like in particular in the first half all the pressure they were under from Scotland so they were they were 120 minutes of rugby up to half time in this year's Six Nations, with just four penalties, like That's one every 30 minutes. That really is outstanding. I mean, this is what people don't really understand, and I'm a huge advocate of saying this over and over again. It is so hard to get a bunch of young men to be that disciplined who are that inexperienced. I mean, I can't... It, I think that is unprecedented, and that's why I think this... Because it's team. even things like... Cause 
Although actually England, Wales didn't have to make that many tackles, but it's even things like someone just getting pinned in a pinned in a ruck. Yeah, yeah. having made a tackle, just yeah, to, landing on the right on the yeah. correct side, not the. You effectively have to work side. hard and be a little bit smart, and even then. You've got guys like Tommy Raphael who were pilfering the ball, who yeah, could give yeah. away a penalty. Who, so his work must be so precise. That's why he's so brilliant. It must be so precise. That, yeah, to tread that line. Yeah. He's right on the razor's edge every time, and he falls on the right side of it. Yeah, yeah that's it's impressive. It's remarkable. Yet, they did lose, and they lost because they just don't have as much talent as England. And I think one of the things which really highlighted that is the fact England could score a try against them when they had 13 men on the field. Yeah. You know, and that, then that the scrummaging. Was, that was quite remarkable, that uh, Ben Earl carry. Yeah. So yeah, without without that ben, that one Ben Hill carry, and yeah, I uh, mean without that, the scrum that he they should never you shouldn't def- concede that try. No, no you shouldn't. But it's Ben Hill. But well, it's also him. it's also I I did watch Fraser Dingwall latches onto him and pushes him over. Yeah, yeah. Mm. It was quite quite smart rugby as well. That yeah. yeah Fraser I thought he should have been given the assist for it. Yeah. Dingwall's uh, settling in pr- pretty well. He's had a few. Little like there was a couple of wasn't passes. great last week. Yeah, and there was a couple of passes this week where he got the ball kind of a bit scrappy and he shoveled shit. He like passed it out the back because he he'd taken it behind him, facing the wrong way, and he then passes it to Noah. So it's like compounding a, a bad pass to him by making a worse pass to someone else. He's certainly not Tompkins, that is for sure. But mind you, Tompkins wasn't great in national rugby for quite a, quite, quite a long time. Yeah, Tompkins. he's not Tompkins now. Like. Tompkins is so good now. Yeah. Tompkins... Oh, oh, don't worry, but Ollie Lawrence will be back. It's fine. Yeah, I don't think he moved in well. I, I think you just stick with him because he's the only natural 12. Ollie Lawrence is dynamite at 13. Slay's dynamite at 13. You've got loads of dynamite at 13s. Just stick with a 12. For the, just for God's sakes, just stick with one 12. Stick with someone. Stick with someone and just leave him there and let him develop because that's what Wales would do. They would find someone. I mean, that's what they have to do with their props. They'll try Archie Griffin, they'll try Azarati, they'll try all these guys. Tomachowski and yeah. Thomas and, and, and Leon Brown. Eventually they'll find the next the next Francis. Francis or uh, uh, Adam Jones. Or someone. Or uh, Gethin Jenkins. Uh, if they get two props, they're in, they're in serious business. Uh, mm. James Milgain, um basically, I'll, I'll summarise his, his point by just asking a question. Freddie Stewart, discuss. Um, Where'd you stand on Stewart? Stewart this week was doing lots of things which he's good at. And he executed them well. Stewart is still very flawed, particularly in defence. I think sometimes in the air, he's not as good as people think. Sometimes he's spectacular. Sometimes he does uh, make... Uh, on balance, he is exceptional. Yeah, but... At that one closed skill. Uh, people say this, right? No, he is. He is some of the time. I, this game, he was imperious. I've seen him lose many, many high, yeah, many he, high he's, balls. He's imperious far more than he's... Yeah, but that's not imperious. Then. <laughs> you know, like you got it's got to be. There's nobody more imperious than he is. Mm. I can't think of anyone who's more yeah. reliable. Who gets in the air and challenge? Yeah, I, th- I think he probably is the best in the world at that. Is he Falau back in the day? Probably. Well, yeah, right Izzy Falau would have been, but would have been. Yeah, I guess if you compare compare <laughs> to Izzy Falau, you're pretty good on. Yeah, that's not bad. Yeah, okay, fine. I'll give him that. Defense is his big weakness. Uh, he didn't really get tested in defense. No. this week um, he. The one thing, so he, he carried well. He's for a fullback. He's a very, very good heavy traffic carrier because he's a hundred and X kg. Do you know what he does do a lot though? Uh, I know the one, the most notable thing that he did this week uh, was slip. Yes, he falls bullets, over uh, twice. He slipped. I've seen him do it for Leicester a few times. He's uh, <laughs> when I, when I was younger, uh, 
I particularly when it was wet as a winger, I always used to wear long studs because oh, my old man would yes. bollock me like absolutely. If I ever slipped because I've got fancy football fancy football boots with Good blades lad. or something on. No chance. Yeah. So I'd I, always be like two inch, oh no, not two inch, inch long, uh, 25 mil metal studs. I used to wear these ridiculous rugby league studs. Now, I don't know why rugby league players need such long studs, but <laughs> I was told they were rugby league studs. I don't, I don't know if they were. Rugby league was played in the summer as well. Yeah. But this, <laughs> and, uh, I used to wear those studs you're talking about, and this was in the days when a good bit of rucking was like part of the, part of the game. I mean, it, it's one of those, it's like an urban myth, isn't it, that these studs are dangerous. Like, is a is a two inch stud or an inch and a half stud really that much dangerous? Much more dangerous than an inch and a quarter? I mean, I just don't think it does that. Much. It's not like the it's, it's not what, like the penetrating. The yeah. skin, is no, it? exactly. <laughs> the, the, the decisive element of whether they're dangerous or not is whether the person is and scraping <laughs> them down your back or not, and yeah. whether they're sharp. Like yeah. if they're. Those you ones, that got, like, together. ones that got Play a tiny it. bit of metal, oh, and then yeah. it's as soon as that's worn away, it's like hard plastic that well, gets to a real fine so, point. It, so in football, like you know the you know the drill in rugby. Yeah, um, I, I think they still do it in lower levels. They check everyone's studs, like the referee. Yeah, we get, uh, yeah you get a stud check. check. It doesn't doesn't happen in football. I remember a school football match where I I went in for a tackle, and there's two of us both went in. We both got the ball and sort of slid through, and then all we heard was uh, just this. Don't want to hear like, it. I don't want to hear scream. it. Anyway, so I hate it. I hate and, anything like this. And the kid went to hospital. And basically, um, the, some parents and stuff came up to me afterwards and said, "Let me look at your studs." And I looked at them, and yeah, they they were exactly like you just described. Yeah, yeah. And I shredded his, oh, inner, oh his inner thigh. He went to hospital. His inner thigh. Yeah. Where, how were you tackling? Well, we we both tackled like we both tackled. <laughs> we, slide, we both slide, slid in, and we were scissoring above each the other. knee. We were scissoring each other basically, <laughs> and uh, we were both on the floor sliding. But yeah, it's, oh. it's exactly that. I just lacerated his leg <laughs> oh, because of that. But but I said ref didn't check our studs, and they went. They didn't really have an answer to that. <laughs> A really good friend of mine, Trav. We used to have our studs checked, and I used to wear these ridiculously long ones. And um, every time we got them checked, the gag would be every time he'd turn around and go, got away with it? Got away with it? <laughs> every time. Every time. And always made me laugh. The tra- I've been through uh, airport security and he makes exactly the same gag. <laughs> got away with it? <laughs> Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Nice. Uh, okay. Um, actually, actually, you just said something which just, just reminded me of uh, this morning. Let's just have a little break from international rugby. We'll come back to Ireland and Italy in just a second. Mm-hmm. Lancashire Cup quarterfinal. Yeah, well, you just said, oh, yeah. you just said uh, about penalty counts. Yeah. And you're so right. And it's the bottom level of the game. So I was wrong today in my coaching role for Ooh. Rafi Quirk's Broughton Park under-16s in their Lancashire Cup quarterfinal. Um and I said at half time to the boys, lads, the team that gives away the fewest penalties will win this game. At just no pens. Get an extra half yard offside, trust your D, 
roll away, let them have the ball, trust your D, all the rest of it, just because... And they went and proceeded to spend the entire second half, except for the last five minutes, in their own 22 from repeated, stupid penalty decisions. They, sorry, the opposition it, did. Yeah, so no, yeah. our boys were oh. in their own 22. Oh, God. 11-7 up in the, a whole second half in their own 22. And it was the only the most heroic defence that meant uh, they managed to win 14-7 in the end. And I was wrong. It, um, the, the team that conceded <laughs> by far the most penalties won. So wow. you're going to tell them to concede more penalties next more week? More pens. Correlation, yeah. causation. Correlation, causation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but but, it, but it, like, they had no right. I don't know. How, it's one of those where, I, I, like, actually, I was stood there. Bearing in mind, you're a coach. I was going, I take no credit for this because the, I cannot believe they've won that game because everything about the reason they won the game was all the stuff you cannot coach. It was so, just, in, it was well, just heroic. In awesome. Bro- in Broughton Park, I never saw this story before, but I love it because... It's one of the few times that a lesson was actually taught. You you remember Broughton Park back in the day when we first arrived? We had a lot of big characters, a, yeah. a lot of people with a lot of things to say who all thought they knew everything about uh, <laughs> about rugby. Like, and they still think they know everything about rugby to this day. And we had a game; the first team had played, and they'd given away a lot of penalties. So the coach, the forwards coach then, and probably still is now, Mark Lloyd, set up this little drill, this little square, and he threw a ball in. We've got two teams of forwards. It's only the forwards. And he went, go get the ball and play. And this, this square is maybe, it's like five metres by five. It might be smaller than five metres by five metres. It might be like three metres by three metres, right? Just go and play. And literally, as soon as the first guy goes, go, goes to ground, there's like a ruck formed and... All the lads are screaming. He's got his hands in. He's got his hands in. Like, he's doing this. He's doing that. Like they all had something to say, and he just let it play. He just let it play over and over and over again. And the moral of the story was like, you've got to play to my whistle. Mm-hmm. And it was just amazing to watch. Like, nobody picked up on the fact that he wasn't roughing, or they did pick up on the fact. Instead of reacting to it, they just started screaming. And eventually, people realised, well, we we can do this. You can put your hands in. So let's start put, put, put let, let's start putting our hands in. Let's stop complaining about it and get on with it. And it's just a really good lesson. Uh, re- a really good lesson, which is you've got to react to how the game is mm. how, how the game is game has been reft, which is often something that certainly England have been criticised for. Yeah, mm. I don't know exactly how you teach kids this though. Mm. I mean, well, you're gonna have to get them in a line, aren't you? And I don't know. I don't know how you've got to condition them to not want to make an intervention in that ruck. I guess that's where you were losing your penalties. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exactly as you described Tommy Raphael's precision on when when to and when not to and all the rest of it. That that's all the stuff. But um, but yeah. So just just on that yeah. on the the um, sheer number of penalties and the the winning team conceded far more penalties. Which um, in the England Wales game, England did concede more penalties to Wales. Although after the first half, it was yeah. somewhat evened up. Did you hear Borthwick and Jamie George after the match in the press conference no, I did not. talking about uh, their penalty target, which I thought was, I found it a bit weird. So Borthwick and Jamie George both said they targeted um, a Maritoji. Seven, wasn't it? Yeah, Maritoji set the target um, of seven penalties or fewer, which is, I find that weird because... It's always better to start, like, why is seven tolerable? Because eight, eight is the magic number. No, but, like, but less is always better. Yeah. Or fewer is I always better in this an, case. So like, I'm why pretty are you sure there's like, some... Because like, six is better than seven. Because I'm pretty certain there's there's research out there which has eight as the magic number, because we always used to talk about eight. 
So it, it did spree. It's always less than eight. I know what you're saying. Zero would be great. Yeah. Zero should be the number. Zero would be great, but I guess you there has to be there's some tolerable allowance because you have to be able to take risks. Yeah, and I there's, guess. there's but then once they reached seven, was it right, no risks now because we're not going over it? Mm. And like yeah. No, no, it's the other way around, isn't it? They get to one about seventy five minutes and like, go, right. oh, we've got loads, we've got loads left. Yeah. Make some stupid calls. <laughs> but they like Borthwick Borthwick joked that uh, we conceded six of those seven in, in the first half, so it was an uphill battle in the second half. But the lads did it, they but, lads stuck to their seven. To be fair to him, it absolutely stacks up. Because I think what happened, the way that this game was lost for Wales, was it was the penalty count catching up with them. So he was absolutely right. In, it was, in that that was yeah, I know. Yeah, but that was I, I guess just having tar- having. I guess it's having targets like having a time that you're going for. Like, um, it's got to be something that you think's realistic and achievable, and but is also stretching you to. Yeah, keep, so you could give away a penalty focused. in the first second, and it's like, oh well, that's that's that gone. Yeah, but why? Yeah. Why not six? Or why not? Like why? I, well, maybe, just maybe, maybe the next game will be six. Maybe it's relative to how they'd got on in previous in games recent. Uh, pre- yeah, previous. Yeah, and less than eight is is awesome. Yeah, well, Wales are nine in 160 minutes of rugby now. Exceptional, yeah, including a second half where they had no scrum at all. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, England, England deserve a lot of credit for this win because I think sort of to focus on the one area of the game where they could win the penalty, and I think George Ford as well. Second half is brilliant. The 50-22 was. was outstanding. Yes, it was. Wasn't yeah, it? He had absolutely that nothing 50- on. Yeah, and th- so that's what's interesting. It was an outstanding bit but get, of skill. Get rid of him. So, get Finn from Smith in, so yeah? Get rid of him. Get I rid of George him, yeah. Ford. Get rid- outstanding bit of skill to thread that kick in. Yeah, brilliant. But he only had to do that because of exactly what you just said, that because he gets the ball, looks up, and there is nothing on. Like The, the attack is non-existent. Therefore, he said, oh, well, I'm going to have to do this again, lads, and puts in a beautiful awesome. kick. And that's what... That was that was the platform for this. Oh, because that led to the from, yellow card, the yeah. uh, deliberate oh, knock-on. What about the yellow cards? So this is ah yes, really in Chesham. Uh, the Chesham one is not. It might not even be a penalty, from what I can tell. Uh, and it, the referees, uh, I wouldn't give it as a pen. I wouldn't give it as a pen. And the referee said, "Oh yeah, you can be lower." Like, well, I mean, how? I mean, theoretically, I guess he could. I mean, if he's laying on the floor, yeah, if not co- a, if he can't point, make a tackle. What's the coaching point? So isn't Ollie Chesham, be shorter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be six foot seven. I can't remember what was the second one. The, the penalty try, absolutely yellow card. Ethan completely Roots. right. I'm one. not sure about that one. Itoji had latched onto the ball, and the reason the yellow card was given is because he, he signalled pulling down. He, oh yeah, I suppose actually the fact it no the, no sorry yellow card I'm okay with penalty try not okay with because Itoji was yeah was on I, the ball. I agree. With, so I'm I've watched it a couple of times. I'm not 100 percent certain that there was like a deliberate pull down. I yeah. think it collapsed because of the pace of it. Yeah, agree. But I'm okay with the yellow card, but it, it, both Atoji and Ben Earl. Atoji got on the ball and Ben Earl was around there as so, well. Unless he was illegally on the ball. A point of trivia, uh, what was the thing that Nick Mullins got wrong in commentary? He doesn't get things wrong. But then later, weirdly became right. Uh, so I I listened to the first half with no sound. He got so. something really wrong. Hmm. Don't know. Okay, so... The penalty try occurs, mm-hmm. and then a few minutes after that, the camera pans on to Martin Williams, and Nick says, "There's Martin Williams. Um, he, until very very recently, he was the last man to uh, for Wales to score first half try in in Twickenham, and of course he was wrong. 
because it's a penalty try. He's still the last still man the- <laughs> to score a first <laughs> half try in in Twickenham. Luckily for uh, l- luckily for Nick, um, Alex Mann bailed him out shortly later. Was was that second half? It's first off, wasn't it? Alex Mann was. It was first half. It was first but, half. Yeah, yeah. So he was right yeah, yeah. because he obviously he anticipated Alex Mann was going to score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right at the end of the first half. Yeah. You know, ooh. Ooh. <laughs> no, I listened to the first half without sound, so yeah. missed that. Oh, and you were in the stadium? I was in the stadium. So you, you wouldn't, wouldn't have... I didn't hear that. Yeah. I didn't hear that. I didn't I didn't actually see Nick either. Did you not? So no, I didn't. Um, I'll tell, you, you, I tell you, you who I did see. You went the in the most, champagne bottle? <laughs> no. The, the, the <laughs> Bollinger tent. The, uh, the <laughs> most unexpected... Uh, person that I chatted to and saw at the weekend, and if if I get if I ask you to guess, we would be here. We've been doing the podcast for how long? This is our eleventh season. Another eleven seasons, and you wouldn't guess who it is. Uh, former Chelsea, Leicester City, Stoke, and who else you played for? Robert Huth. Correct. <laughs> German centre back Robert. Yeah. Huth. He's got six five, isn't he? He was at the rugby. Yeah. So. When I went to England, Wales, my dad took us to a box once, which was pretty cool. Um, Did you get Robert Huth just from those clubs? Yeah. Oh, well, mm. well played, mate. Um, well played. That's quite impressive. I, I'm pretty good like that. I'm pretty good with, with, well, with Premiership football. You've got this this uh, window of Premiership football from about, I don't know, <laughs> 2003 to 2015, yeah. where you are weirdly good. Yeah, I'm reasonable at that. Um, and in the box next to us was John O'Shea, Ryan Giggs... Uh, all the lads who just re- re- Rio Ferdinand, all the lads who just sort of retired. Mm. So yeah, they do they do like their rugby. So I, um, slightly different box related story, but I was in uh, a box at Man City a few years ago with a friend of the pod, Steve Elliott. It, it was great hospitality at Man City, isn't it? It is it, good. It, yeah. it is awesome. good. It is really good. Uh, and the Sky box, we were on the corner where the Sky um, recording was being done. Went in for a pee at half time, or did I mean just after half time actually? Because they would have been recorded at half time. Went in for a pee, and um, along next to me in the urinals, Seidel's very elegant Frenchman Thierry Henry. Mm-hmm. So I finish yeah. up, wash my hands, go back. I was like, Thierry Henry's just um, sidled alongside me in the urinals. And so Steve runs into the toilet and starts oh, taking pictures idiots. of Thierry Henry oh, at a urinal, hell. which is such a. <laughs> oh no! Such a. Ba- oh no! Dickish thing to do. Keep, keep it cool. Keep it cool, Steve. Yeah, yeah. Keep it cool. Fucks. We, um, we, we shared a table with Martin Keown. Yeah. yeah. That was weird. So Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just, I just, I did realise maybe the most. Middle, well, I don't know about middle <laughs> class, but the most media sentence ever said. Oh, Man City do great hospitality. Yeah, uh, they but do. it was because I, I worked at XFM, did the breakfast show in Manchester. I used to get invited every now and again. I took JB to one, as he said. Martin Keown was on our table. Yeah, and a guy who was clearly a rock star, but we didn't know who he was. We didn't know who he was. All we knew is that he played Wembley the night before. And I looked, I looked. <laughs> And it was oh. it was like Led Zeppelin had played. That's they? right. And I was like, <laughs> Oh my god, we got like one of Led Zeppelin sat with us. No, no, he meant he meant Wembley Arena, not Wembley Stadium. Uh, right. so, uh, so it was uh, it was the it was Billy from Billy Duffy. It was Billy uh, Duffy. She from sells the Colts. She uh, the Colt. Yeah. There you go. Oh. Now he had a very attractive, a very, attractive. A very attractive girlfriend with him. So I think I must have been like twenty, what were we twenty eight, something like that, maybe. So, yeah, we're around. It was about to, it yeah, was, we hadn't started the podcast yet. Yeah. Oh yeah, we had. Well, had we? Maybe we got one episode yeah, anyway. in. Right. It, it was early days. It was early days, right? And um, 
she was there. Now, I've looked her up recently, would you believe it? A- uh, AJ. <laughs> right? And I'm sure she's got a new famous boyfriend. Oh. I can't remember now. It seemed... well, when did she pop into your mind? She just I does think... from time to time. <laughs> so I think what had happened is I logged into an old Instagram account of mine or an old Twitter account of mine, and she was one of the people I followed. So I like, followed five people, and I shut down my, Inst- my Instagram or my Twitter account. And, that, and that's how I found out. Mm. So complete, completely well, innocent. I wonder if she got... I wonder if she took half, because she was talking about the house and stables that they'd just bought. Oh, I can only imagine. I can only imagine how delicious those royalties were. (laughs) (laughs) So if you see the cult back out on tour, (laughs) now you know why it's like paying for that break. It's like Lawrence Delalio's motorway adverts. God, every time I see that motorway advert, it reminds me to pay my tax on time. (laughs) Pay your tax in full on time, or you'll be working for motorway. And that's if you're lucky, by the way. Yeah, yeah. If you're really lucky, you'll work for motorway. If not, just pay your tax on time. Who would help you pay your tax on time? I know. The premier financial advice agency well, in North Wales. And indeed the whole uh, UK. Yeah. And the whole world. Bid more, bid more, and bid more. Bid more, more independent financial advisors, of course. You see, I disagree that they're, they're the people that would help you pay your tax on time. They would help you not only pay your tax on time. You pay more tax because you're so wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, hang on, I can't say this. I, the, the, the FCA, the FCA will be after me. I'm making no claims. So you would, uh, Just I'm a financial advisor. They would ensure your tax... Uh, no, they wouldn't. Say, we won't. We won't do that. No. We won't do that. They would remind you... We're just financial advisors. They we, would we... dutifully <laughs> remind you that, to pay your tax on time, but they would, more importantly... Invest the hard-earned no. money you have to what? Well, what do you mean? We, no, yes, you would. Let, I, they would advise you. I'm in such a deep legal hole now, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to stop. Right, you are. You just need to stop. <laughs> so again, in, in terms of middle class, uh, I'm going to be working for motorway, aren't I? <laughs> After that, in terms of middle class sentences, I can say, at Twickenham yesterday, I flew back to Manchester this morning. Uh, so I made the Lancashire Cup quarterfinal. Oh, nice. Uh, Woo, we're going back down to London tomorrow. Oh, wow. Uh, but it was worth the trip back. As Air for, miles. As for, you said you had a story non-rugby related, JB. Which one? To touch we... upon. The, the, oh, the rub- one. Rugby League rugby one. Rugby League one. Rugby League one, yeah, okay. Let's do that. It's a bit negative this, I, you know, after uh, the fun, jovial time that we've just had. So I went networking on Thursday, and I was lucky enough, I say lucky enough, to be given a presentation by... A guy whose name escapes me now, but when if it comes back to me, I'll, I'll mention him by my name. And I was subjected to two presentations. Well, one presentation about two sports, and it highlighted to me everything which is wrong with sports and why mainstream sport is dying, except for football. And um, just the exactly the sort of people that we don't need running sports. And unfortunately for this gentleman, it was just him. It was him through and through. Mm. So when watching this presentation about the rugby league world cup what do you think this is from the ceo of the rugby world cup the main selling point of rugby league is uh the physicality tim the main selling point in- the main selling the, the, the focus and this is literally this is what they're saying this is what he said the focus of the rugby league world cup the, what is it the, what gets people through, through I, the door? I would hope it would be yeah physicality and teamwork like, incredible physical discipline skills. yeah yeah it wasn't that Front and foremost, the Ribbley woke up, there was one word they wanted to push. Equality. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You have to be kidding me. So he said, this was the most important picture that we have. It's like a woman and a man and a disabled person. I'm like, well, this is great. And I'm not saying they don't also deserve a World Cup. But this is not why I'm signing up to go and watch England versus Australia. I, I don't think anyone is signing up 
in order to go and watch England versus Australia. And he just missed every single important point about rugby league. You know, it's history, it's physicality, it's bravery, you know, the aggression. Everything which would inspire a young man to pick up a ball. Or a but, or, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, it, or, or wheelchair player, frankly. Which is, a, I watched some during the last World Cup of the wheelchair uh, rugby league because um, I didn't watch any of it live. How although diff- some what's it was, the difference between wheelchair rugby and wheelchair rugby league? Well, this, okay, so this is interesting one, right? They say, but they are, they are brutally, yeah. I feel they are that really good games rugby, to watch. I feel that wheelchair rugby league and wheelchair rugby union could be kind of like the part of the territory where the Crips and the Bloods first make friends. Like, there's no need to have two different codes of wheelchair rugby. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to try it. I'd love to have a go. I think you probably could. I it's have... Brutal. It's absolutely brutal. ...of a guy who... I think he used to be captain of the wheelchair rugby union team for England, and he was out in Japan at the same time as we we were. And I was meant to interview him for Rugby Dungeon. I never got, got, got onto it. But I'm sure we could. I'm sure we could fix it up. I'd be terrible because if there is any strength and endurance in my body, it's in my legs. Yes, quite. Or my upper body. I'm exactly I'd the be, same. I'd be ruined. We, 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 we'd be screwed. We would be screwed <laughs> because their upper body strength must be absolutely mega, phenomenal. Yeah, but I think there is quite a lot of able-bodied people that play because they need the numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm, interesting. We'll look into that further. I'm sure someone listening will know the, the answer to that. So anyway, this is what it starts with. I'm like, I'm just thinking, you've got this back to front, and the things I'm most proud of is like, oh, equal pay for everyone. I mean, good. It's kind of, kind of good. Is it good? I don't know. Does it matter? No, it doesn't. The only thing that matters is that you're pushing rugby league. And all I could see is somebody pushing their own agenda. And the agenda of the agenda and values, which are not important to any fans or anyone who supports rugby league, and if they are, they're like secondary or third order values. Nothing to do with rugby league whatsoever. It was the most disappointing thing I've ever seen. I bet I... Oh, sorry, you were going to continue. Yeah, so then... But the next one, right, was his role in British cycling. So I've got some very strong views on how sports should be run. I don't know if I'm right, but I do have these views. So again, the most disappointing thing was the order of priority for British cycling. Do you know what the first order of priority is for British cycling? Uh, It's going to be something like diversity, given what you've just said. I I would would say it's uh, health and fitness because of the the, uh, participation levels of cycling. You would have thought so, right? Yeah, that's a good one, yeah. Well, yes, and I've got some thoughts on that. So the first one, right, the first one on the ladder was social justice. So just let's go through it again. The first order for British cycling... The first part, and he's got these ladders, right? There's four different ladders. It's like social justice, social change, something or other, something or other. I'm like, who has put this guy in charge? And I think what it kind of demonstrates to me is there is a class of sports administrator, and I'm sure Bill Sweeney is in this class, who just hang around long enough and know what to say. Because from what I could tell, well, I asked the question, right? So I asked the question about... Um, I was about to say, did you get Oh, I got my hand up. And I, I was very careful because I do appreciate this guy's giving us our time. And yeah. I do appreciate he's not being paid. So he's not come just to, you know, have me... And you're there to network. Yeah, so I mean, I don't yeah. mind putting my opinion forward in any in mm-hmm. any yeah. scenario. But you have to be polite, I think. I think yeah. you can't really go yeah, hard yeah. at him. Uh, because he has given up his time for this. <laughs> so the question I asked was like, okay, for cycling in particular, I thought this was really concerning. They've got seven different sports under the brand of British Cycling. So track, um, mountain biking, um, BMX, BMX, um, indoor cycling, Ro- is another road one. race, indoor. oh yeah, the indoor, yeah, yeah. So you got, cyclocross, you've got or something all, like that. all these different things. And then of course you've got men and women's. And I made the point that in rugby union we see 
union creep into all these different territories, like touch and sevens and fifteens. They should all be run differently. The men and the women's game should be run um, run differently. But the reason they do it is to increase the numbers so they can increase the funding. And this is what cycling are doing. So I, I put this to him because, yeah, well, when you've got a decreasing pot of money, and that was the bit which killed me, because this guy isn't doing his job properly. On the one hand, he's saying our top BMXs are... Um, you know, signing deals with, I think it's Paco Rabanne, he's got all this list of stuff. Like, well, in that case, BMXing is fine. The last thing they need is you taking their money. What you're really telling me is you want some of that BMX money, not that you're supporting B- BMXing. I mean, that's a very different concept. So he's got seven sports under the banner of British Cycling. They're all completely different. They all serve different different demographics. But the reason that they've done it is because they're trying to squeeze more money out, out, out of central government. And real leadership would say, well, that is BMXing. That belongs to this demographic. I'm sure we can get some money out of Red Bull, but why doesn't BMX go and run itself? Right? What, Tour de France, that sort of road cycling. This is not short of cash. It is not short of co- 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 corporate sponsors. So why does that need to be part of well, indoor cycling? I, so I understand you're talking about the central pot of money, and I hear, I, I, I can understand what you're saying, but also I, what, my thought on this was this is top down. This, or this is, yeah, rather than. This is basically governing bodies trying to satisfy the way that corporations are being run. Lately. Yes, trying- I think you're right. I think there's you've, no- talk, you've talked about the Allianz money for England women's rugby. They were like, yeah, we'll give you some money, but actually, we secretly, we kind of want the money. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. So we'll sponsor BMXing if you give us Tour de France. Yeah. That kind of thing. No, I don't or, think it- or actually that just these DEI, all of that stuff, is all what uh, what corporations are doing. The um, What's that phrase? The... Um, no, it's it, the black what BlackRock and all the rest of it were saying. Oh, yeah, they're now stepping back from, but yeah, ESG, ESG, yeah, yeah, ESG, yeah ESG. absolutely. So he's so well versed in in this language. And one of the things he mentioned was one of the missions of the Rugby League, Rugby League World Cup was to decrease male suicide, something along those lines. And at that point, I could feel my blood boiling. I was like, "Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Uh, how many suicides did you prevent uh, th- uh, this year? Because I suspect it's zero, and you're just appropriating that cause in order to push your, you know, your bona fides. And I'm sure that is the case. I mean, it makes me so intensely angry when people say things like, "Oh yeah, we're doing it to prevent male suicide," but they can't back up any of those stats. If that went to the um, advertising standards agency and they made that claim, it'd be thrown out. It'd be thrown out, but yet you can't challenge that because it's a good claim. But it's so cynical. So what's your point as you relate back to rugby? It's just this is kind of a, a window into how you imagine this, rugby's yeah, being Yeah, this is exactly how you know the, the professional level of sports administrators, particularly in mainstream sport, behave. And because they, they come from one sport to another, they fail in one, they fail in the next, and they just carry on going. And the way that they make themselves succeed, and this was the Bill Sweeney trick, is you'll say, well, did you win the World Cup? And this is exactly what this guy says. It's not just about medals, it's about social justice. It's about making a difference. And they'll go, no, we didn't win medals. I mean, as it happens, British Cycling does, so that's good. Um, That's really good. But um, they'll just say, oh, no, but we increased participation of East Indian ladies who like to go cycling. I mean, who cares? Like, who actually cares? all of those things that are mentioned are great outcomes. They're outcomes, yeah, they're, they're, but yeah. they're not. They're, they're they all be great. The target. They're all they're all great outcomes, exactly. So you shouldn't. Uh, there's no. There's no one here would sniff at anyone picking, the, up, picking up a rugby ball, getting on a bike, whatever. They're, they're all great outcomes, or it it helping with any number of potential issues. But that, but it being the front and center target is, is a strange. Well, well one of the that, weirdest so. ones was there was someone someone put their hand up. So I was question like, how are you going to make cycling more accessible? I was like, it's it's cycling. 
And, you know, I go to CrossFit every morning at 6am and there is a range of people going to horrible jobs all on terrible uh, mountain bikes and they look miserable, but they find a way to get to work on their bike. You don't, I don't, I'm not even sure you need a governing body for cycling, to be honest, for, you know, get, for like, for like getting to work. But the answer was, we've been to Trek and we tried to get affordable bikes to give to the community. It's like, can't, can not can Trek just not make the affordable bikes and sell them? Like, is this a good use of funds? It's not. So what they do is they say, look, here are the things that we thought we'd uh, um, achieved. This is the Bill Sweeney trip. Okay, we didn't win the World Cup, but look, we've increased participation by um, appropriating touch rugby. There are loads of affordable bikes. Of course they there might, are. They might, not be, they might not be as good as... Uh, second-hand 12, bikes. 12, yeah, second-hand bikes. Like the last thing I need is a top-down administration handing out track bikes. Trying to um, bend the market to its will. Like... Yeah. The, How, the most, if there's a de- demand for affordable bikes, which there is, there are affordable bikes to buy, which there are, and there are, <laughs> and there are existing uh, businesses and mechanisms which have, which are incentivised to do it uh, for minimum cost and maximum profit f- for them and and anyone. Oh, oh my god, yeah, you just don't need people in the middle of that process. You that already exists. There's eBay. There's Gumtree. You name it. Yeah, yeah. There's little post-it notes put up on the supermarket board. If, if it, you want to spend 12 grand on a bike, you can spend 12 grand on a bike. If you want to spend 50 quid on a bike, you can spend 50 quid on a bike. Like, if, I, if I was in the government department, right, who, someone came knocking and said, can I have some money, please? Why, are you going to win some medals? No, we're going to in- increase social inclusion. For cycling? <laughs> For cycling? <laughs> Every, <yeah. laughs> My uh, word. Tell the uh, Deliveroo drivers that they need more <laughs> yeah, social yeah. inclusion. Deliveroo has done more for cycling than <laughs> British cycling. <laughs> uh, I, I was sorry, I won't go into any details about this, but I was talking to a friend of the pod, CJ, about um, the misappropriation of the market by uh, local authorities at length yesterday, and some of the stuff that goes on is... Absolutely, criminal criminal might be the only word. Yeah, it is eye-watering. Some of the stuff that goes on, the 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 nexus between local authority and third sector, and what they get up to, and it's just completely unaccountable. And people should be locked up. Some of the some of the distortions in the market. Oh my word! Yeah, it's unbelievable. Other people's get other people's money getting spent for other people's benefit for other people's yeah. Benefit. yeah. It's a dreadful. Yeah, it's, it's the classic, isn't it? Yeah. It's the absolute yeah. classic. So I, I I watched this, and then unfortunately, my two guests, both solicitors, had to listen to my views on sports administration. <laughs> I was like, I, and, and I I could hardly contain my rage about the mental health claim. I can only the su- imagine the suicide claim just nearly pushed me over the edge. How cynical do you need to be? There are. Do you know what? There are thousands of people though, JB, waiting for your opinions on Irish rugby. Yeah, okay, well, let's do that then. Let's do that. So, um, last week I was scathing about Ireland. Um, <laughs> this is why I hate Ireland. Yeah, it's with the line. Um, I've got to say, this week, okay, another worthless game. They won it. Well done. So, we've covered off that angle. Some of the rugby they played was magnificent. It is. And some of the talent. I was just thinking about the pack that they had in front of me because Italy weren't up to much. So, it was a good time just to admire the magnificence of the Irish of the Irish team. The second row combination is a joke. Yeah. It's just a joke now. Like the fact that they were playing Caelan uh, Doris at seven. Where's Where's Van der Fleer? Didn't need him. Yeah, on the bench. But the fact that you've got um, you've got Tyburn, Tyburn, just sitting in have, a, have a rest. Uh, Baird, uh, 
open uh, blindside flanker with Mac- Omani in, on, in, in the stand, Bundyaki oh, in the stand. Yeah, me. Hendo coming off the bench. James Ryan, who's now probably third choice out of this incredible stable yeah. of locks, and McCarthy, who is he's so deep, he's so like for Thick. a man of yeah, a man of his age. Now he's not Pusolo Tuolagi, but. But I don't think you want that. No, no, I, uh, th- <laughs> that is maybe too extreme. Yeah. He's some specimen. He is. And like you can imagine being in Italy going, oh my God, we've still got 20 minutes to go. I'm absolutely blowing. Uh, oh his, God, at least they're making a change now. Good, we've got rid of who's coming on. Oh, World Player of the Year 2022, Josh van der Fleer. Yeah. And uh, Gibson Park, Gibson Gibson Park comes off running everything from everywhere. I mean, I have literally nothing to say about Italy after this game. Nothing at all. Um, but, this quality of Ireland's hands, like some of the invention in their attacking play, was awesome. Yeah, and for, for, so Italy scored three superb, like genuinely superb, um, attacking tries last week against England, and not a sniff. Like just no chance against this Ireland team. So comprehensively I, I, I shut would down. Say Ireland did some incredible things. Some of their handling was outstanding. Wasn't they, it? they shut Italy down, and I still would would say that Ireland were. Third gear. Oh, yeah, because they, they changed half the team. Well, so there's still some... There was, And also they did make some mistakes. Second half was a bit scrappy yeah. by their high standards. Well, what I'd say about Ireland, and it's one of the few compliments that I'll give them, um, <laughs> is like, they don't dip their game, do they? So if they've got a terrible team in front of them, they get a hiding. I, I do mm. like that, actually. It's not like England would sort of scrape through against Italy and then uh, there'll be a few other teams that will scrape through against Italy because I'll underestimate them. They are very professional in that in that aspect of the game. If they see someone in front of them who they can give a good kicking to, they'll give them a damn good kicking. <laughs> I do like that. But they, they are not the kind of team who... Like New Zealand put... 90, was it 96? Was it that yeah. many? 90. Yeah, ni- uh, New Zealand will do, do this. They're absolutely yeah. murderous. But New Zealand will put 96 points on team because New Zealand will just know well, we can just attack everything from anywhere. Uh, whereas Ireland won't. They will still, they will give them a kicking, but they'll do it in the same way as if they were giving the kicking to France or uh, England or Wales or Scotland because they will just play their beautiful patterns and systems and keep it going. It does make me regret the World Cup, you know. When you see that 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 team, and you know you know they've missed the boat. That team will not, unless they get even more good players, and they probably will in four years' time. Well, yeah, I, I mean, only going to go downhill their from age, here. Their age profile, their age profile is good, really good. Is it's, it? I mean, obviously McCarthy's young. James Ryan is probably only twenty six. Yeah, I'd look at every position on that on, on that park, and and you say the ones that are aging are have players waiting in the wings. Peter Omani has got Ryan Baird. No, yeah. there's plenty of people. Ty Bird, Joe him. McCarthy, um, even Ty Bird's not. He's not that. He'll, he's 31, 32. Yeah, so he'll be he'll be fine. Come come another World Cup, but um, he is quite explosive though. That's the only thing about Ty Bird. Yeah, 30, so he's thirty two. Thirty two. So he'll be thirty five, pushing thirty six in the next World Cup. He won't make that World Cup. I don't think he might make the World Cup, but maybe not frontline player. Maybe he'll be maybe he'll be uh, second string by that point. But their age profile's really good. The Dan one, Sheehan's a beast. Oh, he's an yeah. he's an, he is an animal. Monster. He is an animal. Um, but tight head prop, I think, is one area they are not good enough. Join, when, join it, the when, club. When, when Ty Furlong moves on. Yeah, they've got Finley Bealham, who started this game, and you've got Tom O'Toole, who is a handy... But he's only relatively mm. young, for, certainly for a tight head prop. They've got the Oli Jaeger um, monster yeah, now, who, who hasn't, hasn't been capped. Yeah, who's... 
He's got a weird route, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, he, he was Irish, was, but then went to New Zealand. New Zealand for a bit because he got dropped by. Was it Leinster? I he was dropped that, by. I think that might that rings a bell. And he's he looks about forty five, but he's not. He's not forty five. Yeah. But you're right. Tighted props are unicorns, aren't they? Good they ones. Pretty much all. I can't think of Scotland have a couple that were quite impressive. Who can push? England even struggled well, for him. Yeah, England, Scotland's got one good tighted prop, and then they they managed to eke out the World Cup with WP Nell, but. Behind that, I mean, it's Elliot Miller-Mills, who's, um, he's been at Northampton and Ealing and what was he, Wasps and a few other mm. places. But he, at 31, he's, get, he's getting his um, first caps in. Yeah, if you're, say, 16 years old now, and there's even a tiny inkling of you being good enough to play rugby in the front row, just work on being, being tired prop. It's, yeah. You I, might make it. But then it's, are you going to be big enough? Because that, <clears throat> that is one of those battles. Yeah. But he can't be just strong enough. I mean, like, if you look at the Welsh guys, they're not big enough. They're just well, they're the, putting on a lot of weight, not uh, good weight. Well, like Archie Griffin, it's one of the things he's got going for him. He's six three and one hundred and twenty five. Is he six three? That's what he's listed as. His, yeah. his, dad, his dad's about six five, six six. Right. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so like he's got the frame. He might not actually be any good at the moment, but once you've got the frame, you can get good. And, and you I can't do, get good if you've not got the frame. I do think about that being strong works until you get tired. Oh yeah, and, and when when tighter props get tired, then mass moves mass. Yeah, it does. yeah. It just being big is important. Hard. Well, for that, um, Scotland managed it well actually. But there was a period of time where they had uh, Pasolo Tuilagi 150 kg behind Duini Antonio 150 kg, all going into uh, Schumann. But actually, the time. it didn't make. I think too much is made is made of that. You know, that, it didn't. It didn't. Like Scotland handled it well. well what wasn't last week's Scotland, uh, the Scotland Wales game? There was not a scrum in. In fact, was there? Was there something like two scrums yesterday? Some some ridiculous stat, or maybe no scrums in the first half. I'm not sure. In the Scotland, or maybe that was last week. Oh no, it was. Yeah, you're right. It was last week. Last mm. week, no scrums occurred effectively. Yeah. Mm. Which I'm sure Wales were very happy with that last week. Yeah. Very yeah, Wales, yeah. They were incredibly happy with that. But their line out fell apart instead. And this this week their line out was a bit better. You, you, line outs falling apart is just not acceptable. Well, France in the first half, particularly with Malvacaron, their yeah. line out was shaky. And it was targeted by obviously they knew. Uh Marchand shorted it up a little bit when he Do came you know, out. I'm certain at the pro game, I'm certain about this. It, it's happened to me as well. I don't think it's the technicality of the line out getting up and down and throwing. I think it's the mindset of the caller. I think people get in the mindset of the caller and that's where it goes wrong. And they start calling the wrong balls to the wrong areas. It's the, the hot hand approach. You see streaks of it. Yeah. Like once there was, which game was it? There was one of the games in the World Cup. I want to say it was Ireland, South Africa, <clears throat> where Kelleher started because Sheehan, he might not have been back fit at that point. Sheehan was certainly injured for the start of the tournament. And South Africa just threw two moves like Moster and Peter Steftatoy up at every single line out, and it was three or four on the bounce that Ireland lost because they had the call. Yeah, they knew they, knew they were going to attack everything, and they just couldn't hit. So their, I hit do. Their jumpers. Want, I'd love to know. I'd, I need to speak to someone again about this because I have spoke to line out callers in, in the past about what what they're doing. But I wonder if they are limiting their. They must be limiting their defensive calls to what they think that the attack will do, obviously. Like regarding field position, so I imagine they're never defending the front. So you know, halfway you were looking at the back and the middle, and therefore you're tempting the the throwing team to go to the front. And then the other thing which the throwing team does, which annoys me, is too many dummies. Because once you've done me twice, you've got to go. 
Like it's a signal not necessarily to your team. It's a signal to the defensive team. You've got to get in the air now. Mm. So if, if you're slow, if you're just up and down, you can beat them in the air. But because of the length of the throw, actually you do get time to react at middle and back ball. Yeah. But if yeah. you've done me twice, if you're slow in the air, so oh, he's done me once. Oh, okay, we're ready now. He's done me twice. Okay, we're still off the air. Oh, third time we're in the air. Good hearts law. What's I, that? I couldn't think of it before. When we're talking about the England penalties, good hearts law is uh, when a measure becomes a target, it's no longer a good measure. And that's ah. so like making making the measure of uh, seven or eight or whatever it is, making the number the target. You f- there's something there where it just fails to do with it. It's a little purpose. bit like what I sometimes say about the... Well, so it's in reverse. It's slightly different back to front, but similar principle to... I'm not a massive fan of tackle counts or missed tackles because actually you could you could be flying out of the line and trying to cover for one of your teammates and technically missing a tackle. That the quality of what you do is as important, so yeah, or maybe yeah. more important than to the use quantity. an investment term on missed tackles. That is a stat that needs a cap and a collar. There's probably a healthy range, so you probably don't want to be under. Yeah. 20% of made tackles. The cap and the collar is a better way of thinking about it rather than saying we're no yeah. more than seven or no more than eight or whatever it is. It's saying, yeah, we, we want to be in this band. Yeah. Anything like, and particularly compounding them, which England do historically terribly, is a dreadful way to go. Now, this, Sorry. this is a law that's only known amongst a few people. And I don't think you're one of them, Tim. You know what Logan's law is? <laughs> Logan's law? Logan, he's, he's got his own law. What would Phil's law be? <laughs> Very well known within a, a, a select group of people. Logan's, and it explains a lot. Logan's law. No, I'm, 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 you've got me now. Tell me. Logan's law is people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, that, that's the be all. That, that, that's it. What happened there? Logan's law? People are effing idiots. And you can't trust people. Like if they do stupid things, it's because that's what they do. Like yeah. the, the, the people are stupid. <laughs> Can I tell you from my own personal life? Like I, the most impressed I've been with my kids was earlier today. In a lot, mm. most impressed. Please tell me that they sold sweets using a, sim- a multi-round simultaneous auction. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be Im- impressive. Um, they had a party last night. Oh, mm. oh, oh, you were you were away. We were away. Uh oh. Uh, they had a party, and um, I didn't know until this evening, just just before doing this podcast, in fact, because the neighbour uh, messaged to, to one of the neighbours messaged to say everything all right after last night. <laughs> but but I, I I was not anno- I'm not annoyed with the kids. I, I was unbelievably impressed when I said, "So what happened last night? What nothing? Why what?" And I showed them the message, and they were like, "Oh." What, what happened? We had a party. Um, okay. And and anyway, they went through in intricate detail. That they, they they taught me through their thinking for what bits that they moved into the living room out the way. They even took photos of... There's a load of... There's a load of jam jars. There's a load of jam jars full of marmalade on, on the... <laughs> On the table in the in the kitchen because um, Kate and some friends just made some marmalade the other day. They took a photo. Fo- they took a photo of how the jars were arranged and put them back exactly the same. And the meticulous, I would never have known. Uh, I got- and, and I was I just admired. It. I was like, yeah. And I was like, how many people were there? Uh, about about sixty. 
60. 60 people Goodness were there. Me. Wow. They cleaned us out of our beer 52 beers, by the way. Oh. I mean, I mean, if anyone's judging, that was, that was, that, that was, no, I drank them all. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Miners <laughs> did not drink. Uh, by the way, beer 52, yeah. that was a long time ago. A long time ago. Yeah. So you must have been holding on to those beers. No, they, they sent some more what? a few months back. Did they? Mm. Remember them? I think. Or um, no, maybe not. What was I going to say? Yeah, I got caught when I was 16 having a party in my friend's house. A similar sort of scenario. And the reason we got caught is we hung up the pictures in the wrong place. So we took all the pictures down and we put the pictures up, but we put one, we got two of them mixed up and then it caught, eventually we got busted and it, it wasn't nice. We got re- They were not proud of us. <laughs> so I'm, I'm reading uh, The Spy and the Traitor, which is a really good book. Uh, only about 100 pages in. Um, but it's a real story about a um, Russian spy who was working as a double agent for um, MI6. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, But one of the things he does when he leaves his apartment, he puts a little blob of glue, just a tiny little bit, on his door, and he checks it as soon as he comes back in. Because it doesn't offer any resistance, but he knows if the glue is broken every time he comes back in, so he knows if he's been... Bugged or tampered. John Carey does that with a grain of rice. Yeah, so you should do that on your beer fifty-two uh, locker, Tim. Yeah, might not be a beer fifty-two. Yeah, anyway, your, your beer locker. All the beer, all the beer oh, in my the house. Beer from beer from Phil. Uh, yeah, all the oh the wheatwood was it wheatwood? Wheat, wheatwood. Yeah, yeah, all the beer in my house is gone. Yeah, um, it's, it's gone to a good home. It went to a good yeah. home. memories were made with that beer. Yeah, yeah. Put yourself in their position. You yeah, would, have would loved you do that. it? That beer would taste was, uh, sweeter. Yeah. There you go. Like the, the, the more I asked them, like that, that, I swear the house was tidier when I got back than when when I, 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 they were on That's their own Friday every and Saturday night. It was great. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, any more? Any other business? I don't got, think so. We've got a fallow week now, haven't we? Oh yeah. So now, now we can get into some uh, like real niche topics next week. <laughs> oh yeah, looking forward to that. That'll be really good, actually. Mike on. Why can't Virginians pa- uh, pass a ball? <laughs> what? Why can't Virginians pass a ball? Is this a joke? No, no, no. It's, it's it is legit. Well, I, what? I don't. I don't agree. Well, you're wrong. So, <laughs> I was having a, 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 a discussion, and somebody pointed this fascinating fact out about about Virginians. Um, a lot of Fijians, when you watch them at pro level, are not particularly good at passing the ball. They are amazing at catching, but not passing. Why would this be? Uh, I don't know. Tim, think think about it. Why would you be amazing at catching but not passing? Because they're so good physically that they rarely need to pass the ball. No. No. Something else? What are they playing with? Coconuts. Almost. They're quite often playing rugby without a ball. On the island. So on occasions, in fact, quite a few occasions, one of the favourite things to play touch with on, uh, on, say, a beach or a field or, or, or not, is a bottle filled with sand or water to give it some weight. Therefore, passing is really difficult, right? But their catching develops incredibly. Wow. Is this from Mark Evans? I'm not telling you where it's from because I don't know if he wants to uh, publicise. That is phenomenal. If It feels like a... Uh, I'm not sure, even sure if it's... Uh, podcastable that little section why 
I, I don't know. T- I don't know. I, no, I'll like, just say I remember the time that um, I talked about um, uh, some great result for Fiji. It might have been around the sevens, and I said, and I mentioned, oh, I imagine them all huddled around their little TV in the in the hut in um, whatever. In um, I remember you two ripping me for around their mud huts. <laughs> yeah, and I think my exact response is that's pretty um, disparaging to the Fijian tech yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're all a lot of people in um, Fiji, Australia, New Zealand. That that side of the world, they uh, genuinely make money from online gambling because like 8 a.m. Saturday morning or 8 a.m. Sunday morning is uh, the time it is on the previous night in America. So you get all these drunk Americans going online and they hammer them at poker and just take all their money playing playing drunk Americans at poker because of the benefit of the time zone. Here's another little Fiji fact. So, Fijian rugby is played by the the Fijian majority, right? So, 80% of Fijians are Fijian, right? And then the other 20% are also Fijian, but they're of Asian heritage, particularly Indian, because, of course, it was an old... It wasn't quite a colony, but so so. So, all the Fijians own all, all the land, but all the... Asians, generally speaking, are more into business and trading and commerce. So the Fijians play it, but it's all sponsored by the local businesses and supported by the Indian po- by the Indian population, which I found, again, fascinating. That is fascinating. And, of course, they own all the businesses, but they can't own any of the land, and that's a hangover from colonial times. So only the Fijians can own the land. Mm. Want... want, want any- any more Fiji facts? No, let's let's have let's have some more niche stuff next week. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we've got plenty of time for it. Contact chasers at gmail.com is where you can email us in the meantime on anything that this episode has sparked or anything you feel like talking about. Generally speaking, you can get us wherever you get your podcasts, hit subscribe, and for more content, some of it spicy, uh, patreon.com forward slash egg chasers. I reckon as Matt Cotton would say, let the boys end. Yep. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.